kind of switch the order a little bit. I'd like to read also the Belgic Confession, Article 13. So that's a confession that was made at the time of the Reformation when the church was being persecuted for their faith. They said, let's write down what we believe, make it public so everybody can see it. It's a very clear, succinct description of what the church believes, and we continue to hold to this truth and defend it. And then Article 13 in the Belgic Confession uh, just describes what we believe Scripture teaches about the providence of God, and that's fitting uh, to read in connection with Genesis 45, uh, where we see uh, that providence also explained. So we're going to read from the Confession, the Belgic Confession, Article 13, that's page 503 in the Book of Praise. And we believe that this good God, after he had created all things, did not abandon them or give them up to fortune or chance, but that according to his holy will, he so rules and governs them that in this world, nothing happens without his direction. Yet God is not the author of the sins which are committed, nor can he be charged with them. For his power and goodness are so great and beyond understanding that he ordains and executes his work in the most excellent and just manner even when devils and wicked men act unjustly. And as to his actions surpassing human understanding, we will not curiously inquire farther than our capacity allows us. But with the greatest humility and reverence, we adore the just judgments of God, which are hidden from us, and we content ourselves that we are pupils of Christ, who have only to learn those things which he teaches us in his word without transgressing these limits." This doctrine gives us inexpressible consolation, for we learn thereby that nothing can happen to us by chance, but only by the direction of our gracious Heavenly Father. He watches over us with fatherly care, keeping all creatures so under his power that not one hair of our head, for they are all numbered, nor one sparrow can fall to the ground without the will of our Father. In this we trust, because we know that he holds in check the devil and all our enemies, so that they cannot hurt us without his permission and will. We therefore reject the damnable error of the Epicureans who say that God does not concern himself with anything, but leaves all things to chance. Then we'll also now open Holy Scripture again and read uh, from Genesis 45, which is the text of the message this morning as well. Genesis 45. That's page 38. Hear the word of the Lord. So the brothers were in his presence again. And then we read in 45 verse 1, Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, so that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. 
For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept upon his neck, and he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them, and after that his brothers talked with him. When the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, do this, load your beasts and go back to the land of Canaan. And take your father and your households and come to me. And I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you shall eat the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, do this, take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. The sons of Israel did so. And Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh and gave them provisions for the journey. To each and all of them he gave a change of clothes. But to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. To his father he sent as follows, 10 donkeys loaded with good things of Egypt and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and provision for his father on the journey. Then he sent his brothers away and as they departed he said to them, do not quarrel on the way. So they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. And they told him, Joseph is still alive and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb, for he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when the, he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. <clears throat> Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, uh, the problem with GPS on your cell phones is that it only shows you where you are right now and not the whole picture. You follow a little blue dot and you get to your destination and there's an arrow shows the road that you need to go on and then you see when you're going over a bridge that you're going over a bridge and life is like that except in life there are more one-way streets it's more like a, a river flowing and taking a channel and there is no way back you're, you can imagine you're in some developing country or you're on a, a trip and you're trying to follow your GPS and you make a left turn when you should have made a, a right turn and 
you end up on a one-way street that brings you into some dangerous slum instead of the, the shopping mall that you were hoping to get to, and it causes a lot of stress for you. And then what a relief it is when somebody comes up beside you and takes out one of those old-fashioned, those paper maps that you unfolded and fold, and you could see the, the whole picture, and they show you that although you, you left the best path, there is still a good way back. And then they're even nicer, and they said, I actually followed you into this dangerous part of the city because you looked lost, and I want to drive you out to safety. Above everything else, Genesis 45 is a revelation that God will ensure that all his chosen ones arrive at their destination. Nothing, not even our sinful choices, can thwart his plans. And no matter what we do to make the journey more difficult for ourselves, God will certainly save his children as we trust and follow him. The text today teaches us about the difficult-to-understand relationship between God's sovereign plan, that big map that will certainly come to pass, and the real responsibility of man and women, men and women, to, to choose to serve the Lord or not. In Genesis 45, we learn more about how God governs and sustains the whole universe by his power and what that means for us, what that means for our salvation. And you'll notice as we read Genesis 45 that there is no attempt to defend God's character by distinguishing between God's will and God's permission. Joseph does not try to free the Lord from the imaginary categories that people make up, try to absolve him of the false charge that God might be the author of sin. In Genesis 45, we do not see God's providence as some theological concept to confuse us, but rather God reveals his sovereign grace in the comfort in the context, sorry, of, of real-life challenges because he wants to comfort his church. God's providence is revealed and presented to the church, to his people, when they are confused, when they are afraid, when they are embarrassed, when he calls us to do hard things. His providence has presented us to calm us to soothe us in our fears and our sadness so that we can again joyfully embrace his amazing grace. The theme of our text is how the knowledge of God's providence, that government, his guiding, governing hand, how that can serve to be a comfort for us in our lives, both as, as guilty sinners like the brothers, Joseph's brothers were, as well as those who have been called to forgive others and seek reconciliation like Joseph faced and Jacob faced. And I preach to you the gospel that God's saving work triumphs over all evil. And we'll see that this is a comfort, a comfort for Christians who have done evil things and also a comfort for Christians who have had 
evil things done against them. You'll notice in Genesis 45 that everything that Joseph says to his brothers is spoken to a group of people that God brought through hardships and led to confess their sins and live a life of true repentance. We saw that in Genesis 42 to 45. The brothers are humble. The comfort of God's providence for those who have sinned is a comfort that can only be embraced by Christians who have humbled themselves before the Lord, like Jacob and his sons did. The comfort of God's providence and his guiding hand in our lives does not apply to those who still love and embrace their sin, who are not fighting against their sin in their lives. You see, we can never justify doing evil at the present time by saying it is part of God's plan. The Bible makes it clear that God never wants us to seek evil or to continue to live in it as if God needs you to do evil in order to accomplish his purpose. Joseph did not talk about God's providence to comfort people who were hardening in sin as if to tell them that it doesn't matter that they were offending God. And he didn't talk to them about God's providence to justify those who had rejected God. But rather, he reveals the comfort of God's providence to, to a people who were weary. They were frightened. They were embarrassed sinners who hated the sins they had committed and who were, who were wanting to live in peace with God and with their neighbor. The words of Joseph are a comfort for Christians who are seeking evidence that the Holy Spirit will guide them and who have the Holy Spirit within them in conflict with their sinful nature, like we read about in Galatians 5, verses 16 to 17. And so it's very important to see that Joseph's brothers were in the right place spiritually to hear the gospel of God's grace and love. Joseph had to speak to his brothers about the comfort of God's providence because they wanted to live in fellowship with one another and yet they humbly recognized that they had done evil things that could stand in the way of this unity. We read in verse 3 and 4 and then you can see it also in verse 12, the brothers were dismayed. They were dismayed to hear the voice of the man that they had wanted dead and sold into slavery. They were dismayed because it was a stark reminder of their failures in the past. Have you, have you ever seen the, the hurt look in the eyes of loved ones you sinned against? Maybe even this morning, just someone in the house, you say something that's not right. You see the, the hurt look in their eyes? Or maybe you've come across a friend that you treated horribly in the past. Maybe you were bullying them in school or something. And, you, and then you see them and, and you can hardly look them in your eyes. their eyes. You're, you're dismayed. Or sometimes it happens that after years of, of selfishness or addiction or neglect, a man or a woman is confronted by a loved one, maybe their own husband or their wife or their children. 
And they say, and they hear them say, look, look at what you've done to me all these years. Look at the consequences of your evil choices. Look at how you destroy trust and kindness and gentleness. We often see this even when we apply the rule of Matthew 18 and discipline. And a brother or a sister in the Lord who has grown accustomed to just doing his own thing, suddenly he, he comes to realize that he's been offending God and harming others by his sin. Sometimes people who have left the church in anger or, or frustration or people who have never really thought too much about the church, suddenly they hear the gracious call of the Lord and they realize what they've done. They realize they've turned their back on God and not just on a building, not just on a group of people. And when we come to see that, when we come to see our need, when we're confronted with, with that evil that we've done in the past, we, we think, oh no, what have I done? I, I don't want to live another moment with God and, and yet what can I do to come back? The Lord shows us that he knows exactly what this awful feeling is like. When he has us, remember the, the first words that Joseph spoke to his brothers. He said, I am Joseph. And then he said, do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves. Don't be embarrassed for what you have done. Have you ever been angry with yourself for something that, unkind that you said? Something unkind that you did to another person? Maybe you were distressed about something unwise that you did with your friends as a teenager. Or perhaps it was more serious and you're looking back and you're seeing years and, or decades that you've wasted because you were addicted to something or you cared more about yourself than about the church or even your own family. Our text today reminds us that God knows that the sins that we have committed in the past can be an obstacle to unity or to fellowship today. He understands that sad feeling that comes into our hearts, that the Spirit works into our hearts when we realize we've probably burnt some very important bridges. It's going to be very difficult to return. The river has flowed, flowed away in a one-way street. He understands that sad feeling that comes into our hearts. We didn't listen to the advice we received. We said, we did harmful things because we thought we knew better. And so guided by the Holy Spirit, we can identify with Joseph's brothers. For many times we too are like them. We're unable to respond because we're dismayed because of our sorrow. The response that your husband or your wife or your child or your teacher or your elder or the police officer gave to you, yes, the, the pressure that exposed your sins, it had the desired effect, like Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 7, that, that letter that, that made you see and, and they were grieved by what they were seeing. The shell on the nut has been cracked open and now that you are vulnerable and eager for peace with God and your neighbor, now you are ready. Now you are ready to hear 
the incomprehensible, completely undeserved grace and comfort that God reveals to us when he tells us about his providence. He's sovereign. And brothers and sisters, the gospel message of Jesus Christ that I may preach to you today from our text is that not only that God understands your sorrow to see what you have done, but that he also doesn't want you to continue to be sad and tormented by your past. Joseph comforts his brothers by explaining several times God sent him to Egypt to preserve life. And concluding with that striking statement in verse verse 9, he says, so it was not you who sent me here, but God. Since the brothers knew very well that they couldn't blame God for the evil that they had chosen to do, and they allowed their grief to hinder their relationship with Joseph after Jacob died, Joseph had to explain God's providence again in Genesis 50. We read that together. And so Genesis 50 verse 20 says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Do you see, brothers and sisters, the comfort, the comfort of the teaching that God is in control, the comfort for the repentant sinner? You see, God's saving work triumphs over evil. Even evil of the worst kind, evil that causes the church to divide and split apart. The gospel is that God is bigger than you are. Proverbs 16 verse 9 says it beautifully, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Listen carefully, brothers and sisters. Since God sent his only son to pay for your sins, there is no confessed sin that can take away your salvation. Your lives, your mistakes, yes, the evil, that you have done. It's little compared to God's sovereign plan. And even more, it is completely covered by the blood of Jesus Christ for everyone who believes in him. Joseph tells his brothers not to give too much credit to themselves. Don't give too much credit to your your sins. Don't give too much honor to the power of the devil because God is sovereign. God will not let his little ones out of his hand. And he works all things according to the purpose of his will. You saw that on the text displayed on the wall when you walked in Ephesians 1 verse 11. God's saving plan, you see, does not ignore, it does not overlook sins and evil, but God's saving plan deals with sin. That's the beauty of the gospel we believe and we proclaim. It is not an empty promise of of love and, and forgetting whatever happened that allows evil just to continue to fester under the surface, but it is a promise that was fulfilled when Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died on a cross and he bore the anger that your sins deserve. And he did that for us. 
He did that for, uh, in the place of all who believe in him. God shows his hatred against the evil, even as he uses the evil intentions of both his children, like Joseph's brothers, and his enemies, like the Romans and the Jews who, who crucified our Lord Jesus Christ. And he makes those evil things serve his greater plan, which is accomplished through his son, Jesus Christ. And then we see, brothers and sisters, there's no room for boasting, but there's also no need for excessive sorrow and fatalistic depression about our future. Joseph revealed God's grace to his brothers, but then immediately he placed them back into the plan. He, he put them back onto the, the right channel, the right road, going in the right direction to live in new obedience. You see that also in 2 Corinthians 7. They were transferred again from darkness to light. They were put back on the right path and they're called to walk in the light. God's grace doesn't make us careless but it calls us to action. Joseph's brothers now need to deal with the consequences of their evil. Confident that they have been forgiven by God, they need to go back and face their father, tell him the truth about what happened there near Dothan. Yes, God's grace to sinners and the comfort they may live with has consequences for everyone that they know. And we'll see that the God's providence is also a comfort for Christians who have been sinned against. Joseph makes it very clear that he, for depended on him, he was eager to live in peace with his brothers. And you can see that he shows his genuineness, he shows his sincerity by his tears. The text says that after several times of going out to control his tears and the first visits of his brothers and his whole face warming up with emotion when he saw Benjamin the first time, in the beginning of our text we read finally he was no longer able to control his emotions anymore. It shows how hard it was for Joseph to show this tough love to his brothers. It shows how real and how living his heart was. Joseph tested his brothers as his family as a brother. He tested them as an equal. He wasn't acting like some moral, morally superior dictator from an ivory tower. We see here also the spirit of discipline in the church. When we encourage one another, we do so as fellow sinners striving for the same goal. Joseph also showed his love for his brothers by taking precautions so that their shameful behavior was not, was not plastered and yelled in all of Pharaoh's court. So he sent out all the, the servants so that they wouldn't have to hear the shame of the brothers. Again, we think about church discipline and the need to know basis. We don't go blabbing everything we know to everyone, but we respect the honor and the dignity of the sinner. All this makes us ask, though, how could Joseph get to this point? How could he be so gracious? How could he be so eager to reconcile with his brothers, to, to defend their honor, and to seek peace with them? The Holy Spirit shows us that his desire for reconciliation, for peace, 
is related to his understanding of God's providence. When Joseph had tested his brothers so that he could really see the genuine repentance in their lives, when he saw that repentance, he was eager for them to also enjoy the promise of forgiveness. And so without putting himself in the place of God as judge and jury, Joseph interpreted God's providence and found a reason for granting forgiveness to his brothers in God's plan. It was God's plan that motivated him. Seeing how the hardships had changed them all, Joseph is moved by the Spirit of God to forgive his brothers, to seek reconciliation. Again, we, we notice that this repentance is needed before reconciliation is possible. But when there is this genuine repentance, then Joseph is seeking to forgive as the Spirit guides him. Several times he mentions God's plan. He says, I have been divinely chosen to help you by preserving for you a remnant and a number of survivors. That's verses 7 and 10 and 11. Although Joseph had suffered much, by the grace of God, he, he could look back and he could know that God didn't cause the evil God did not delight in those wicked choices that Jacob's sons had made, but he also knew that God had ordained everything to be just the way it is right now for, that, for a reason that has to do with the salvation of the church. Joseph could say, we are here. It was a horrible path to get here, but this is where we are because God ordained it as such. And Joseph did not lay claim to the authority and power of God. He understood he was just a, a cog in the wheel, and an instrument in God's plan. And so, since Christ had made him his own, like Paul says in Philippians 3, verses 13 to 14, forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, he pressed on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It took Joseph a while to see and understand the call to live peaceably with all as far as it depended on him. You see, brothers and sisters, this didn't happen instantaneously. This was based on what was seen and shown by the brothers over a long period of time. Because a person can only begin to forget about sin as something in the past when it is confessed and when it is hated by the sinner. We have to be patient with people who have been hurt by others as they slowly gain the ability and the courage and the trust to move from numbness to forgiveness. You notice in verse 24 that Joseph urged his brothers to be, not to quarrel with one another, be patient with one another. They had hurt one another as well. And so as they're going back to their, their brother's or their father's home to confront him, they needed grace. And they also found that when they arrived to tell their brother, their father, their news, we read he didn't believe them at first. After suffering for years and years in this fatalistic, 
despondent grief and self-pity as Jacob expected to die in sorrow. Suddenly, Jacob hears that he had been grieving a son who was still living. And his other sons had known about it the whole time. And so we read, his heart grew numb. Numbness of heart is associated with disbelief that comes as a result of being sinned against. Numbness of heart is a, is a horrible consequence of sin that always hinders reconciliation. Numbness makes us unwilling to trust another person and be vulnerable again. It has a paralyzing effect on our hearts and on our souls. Joseph really wanted his father to forgive his sons. Joseph really wanted him to forgive his brothers for the crimes that they had committed. And we can all see how important it was for, for the nation of Israel to be joined together again and even that it's a part of God's plan. But Jacob had to be assured that God was at work before he could change. Well, we read in verse 27 that in his grace the Lord provided clear evidence of the honesty, of the sincerity, and of the unity of the brothers. His sons did not want to exclude Joseph from the family anymore, but they told him all the words of Joseph. Jacob saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to them, and presumably the special favor that Joseph had shown to Benjamin. And that really proved to Jacob that it really was Joseph over there in Egypt and not some other ruler because no other ruler would catch that, that subtlety. And then we read in verse 27 that the spirit of the father, Jacob, revived. Faith is associated with a revival of spirit. Numbness with disbelief, revival of spirit with faith. Faith also brings uh, Jacob to action. And so he, forgetting what is behind, he believed the grace of God to him in the presence. Joseph, his son, was alive, he said. It is enough. And so he pressed on to see what God had in store for the church. God's saving work triumphs over all evil. In his providential care, he brought the sons of Israel from a place of selfish denial and fighting to transparent love and sacrifice and fellowship. And once they are shown the, the big picture on the, the unfolded paper map, to use the analogy, and the Savior who would rescue them from the, the misery into which they had plunged themselves, they are eager to return to obedience again. They are like us who hear the gospel of forgiveness in Jesus Christ. The church eagerly seeks to follow God as he leads them the next step of their journey. And in our text, we see that for the sons of Jacob, that means going to Egypt. And when we consider all that God reveals about himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we can see that God 
desires to save his people from their sins. Desires that you do not wallow in sadness and despair, but that you look up to Jesus Christ and see where he leads you to the new life. He provides a way in the sacrifice of his only son, Jesus Christ, so that we might be restored to favor with him, with our neighbor. He sent his son exactly because he knew about our sins. And so that means our sins and even the things we've done in the past, our rebellion against him that we're ashamed of, that confront us, it's not the end. Brothers and sisters, it's not the end for anyone. It can never be a reason to reject him. His arms are open to receive everyone. As long as we have breath, as long as we have life, it is not too late. It is not too late to repent, to turn to God in humble acceptance of his plan. And on the other side also we see, brothers and sisters, it's never too late to seek reconciliation with our neighbor. To trust in the power of the the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ to forgive and to wash clean. God's plan is a gracious plan of salvation. And as we walk along on our streets, one-way streets of life that go to different directions, we know that God has a greater plan for his chosen ones. They will reach their destination and he will use each one of us as a part of that plan. It's a gracious plan of salvation. There is forgiveness of sins. There is hope of eternal life. That's the gospel we announce. That's the gospel we believe. It is in Jesus Christ. When we walk with him, he will give us the strength to see that his saving grace triumphs over all evil. Amen.